Luckily for you, the answer to the great question of life, the universe and everything is to be found in this podcast, A Worker's Guide to Everything. Sometimes cans, often bad language, always solid politics. This is the Trademark Belfast podcast. Listen out for trademark regulars and very special comrade guests and fellow travellers talking all things lefty, Ireland and the world. We remain, as always, anti-sectarian, anti-racist and anti-fascist. Enjoy. Buenas tardes. Welcome to the Trademark Podcast. I have uh, my name's um, Stephen Baker. I'm a I'm a lecturer at Ulster University in Film and Television Studies, and I've managed to wrestle the means of podcast production from the hands of the guys at Trademark, um, and to turn the tables on a little bit and talk about the kind of work that they do, and in particular talk about their role um, in workers' education, which I think is important and and really significant. Um, just to introduce them, and you probably know them already if you're a regular to the podcast, with Mel Corey, Sean Byers, and Stephen O'Nolan. And so um, we're going to have a bit of a conversation about uh, the work uh, that they do. Just by way of introduction, I should say why this has sort of uh, arisen. There's two reasons for this. One, I've, I'm working uh, with a new journal. It's just appeared a comedy called uh, The Journal of Class and Culture. And in a conversation with the, the with the boys from, from Trademark, we were talking about that and uh, some of the ideas which we're going to discuss now kind of arise out of that conversation. But also I have to say that, you know, my first encounter with Trademark was few years now, Betty Sinclair Winter School, um, uh, the double transition. And um, it was an extraordinary event, really, because I, I came along basically not knowing what to anticipate. And I think I can say, in all honesty, it was much more lively and engaging and interesting than any academic conference I'd ever been to. There was a really interesting mixture there at the event. There was, there was academics, but there was overwhelmingly trade unionists and activists there as well. And... The talks that were given weren't the end of anything. The, the debates and the conversation went on that evening in the bar, and it was one of the most intellectually stimulating events I was ever at. Completely turned my head, and I think has had a real impact upon everything that I've done uh, subsequently. Um, and so in many ways, that's what we're going to discuss uh, now, the kind of impact that an encounter with that kind of education can have. I suppose the obvious place to start is, and we've, I mean, you'll have talked about this in previous podcasts, but for anybody who's new to the podcast or anybody who's just catching up, it might be useful to give them a sort of sense, perhaps, of the kind of background, the trademark, where you you have come from. Who fancies taking that on? Well, Mel is the oldest here by quite a a lot, actually, so I think he should really start with that story because he's old enough to remember. Well, you, you're the first person um, and the oldest person in Trademark. Um, I was only sort of, I was rescued by Trademark from the Dan Embers of another organisation. Um, so, uh, which we don't want to get into, but um, I suppose my involvement in, in uh, education has, um, it's a bit like the capitalist system. It emerged by accident, really. Um, I was a textile worker in a factory in Lurgan with no um, real education, you know, past secondary school, and which was a dismal failure in the early 80s. Um, but I became active in the union, in the factory, and um, had a second chance at education through trade union education. Just in like your your experience of the, the Betty Sinclair School, Steve, when I went into... Um, an office room in a, a union office in Portadown and sat with other people. And I have to say it was all men at the time and being being taught by another man, but the conversations and the subject matter were relevant 
Um, and, you know, I wasn't forced to be there. So therefore, it was a much more enjoyable experience. Actually, it was an enlightening experience. And after the first day, I was hooked. I couldn't get enough. Um, and that started me on a path of training as a tutor, um, doing organizing training, doing uh, the, all the core educational programs that the trade union movement had to offer. And then unemployment from uh, the factory in 1999 just left me with, uh, it provided me with the opportunity to look, look for a different path. And over a period of time, I was lucky enough to start working with Stevie and Joe um, on just contract work at, at, at the start um, and with, with Trademark at that time. We wanted to make sure he was kind of any good at his job. I mean, so we didn't give him a full-time job straight away, obviously. I mean, he was on probation for about 10 years. We've only actually sent yeah. him full-time recently. Yeah. Joe had to vouch for me. Stevie Stevie, and Joe had to go to the pub. And then Stevie would say, who is this, who is this bloke from Lurgan? Like, seriously, he's from Lurgan? I mean, how, how good can he be? And Joe had to go <laughs> board. So that, that was the beginning for me then. Just for anybody who doesn't know, could you say a wee bit about, about Joe Law? Because... Um, you know, he's he was was, was crucial in many ways. The the the, the work that he's doing now. Well, Joe Law was uh, he passed away three years ago now, as people we all know and people who loved him know and know well because we miss him so much. But uh, he was one of the founding members of the organisation that did precede trademark. We probably should mention that organisation. It was called Counteract, and it was established by the Irish Congress of Trade Unions as a a, a kind of trade union response to intimidation and threats against workers in the workplace and indeed the community. Back Way back in 92, I think it was a motion from the Belfast Trades Council that got passed at the ICTU conference. And then the contract was set up after that and Joe came on board very early into that organisation. And the work then was really very much about getting into workplaces and telling workers and instructing workers and kind of cajoling workers not to be at each other's throats all the time um, and to be working together. So and Joe was brilliant at that. And if you want to listen to more about that, we do have a podcast on that very subject. It was our first ever podcast 18 months ago when we talked at length about Joe's skill at the work that we used to do and still do. But that was Counteract, and that was it was actually called the Anti-Intimidation Unit of the ICTU. Um, and it was heavily involved in all sorts of bits of the peace process, kind of what you might call Track 2 diplomacy, not the stuff you see on the TV, but the stuff beneath that, including... Our tradition and, and Mel's carried that tradition on strongly is working with paramilitary organizations and ex-prisoner groups and so on. So we've been at that for it's coming up 20, 28 years, 27, 28 years. The organization's been doing that work. And trademark was the second iteration, if you like, of that organization. Um and kind of so replaced you, counteract. Was the you know you obviously counteract and the anti-sectarian work, that was that was educational work you were doing as well. Mostly it wasn't well, was it? It was firefighting. We were we got phone calls from panicked union officials and panicked human resource officers saying that there's an incident here, someone's been threatened, or there's just, or just there's a general atmosphere of nastiness and sectarianism. Can you please come in and sort it out? Thanks very much. So we only ever got called in when the shit hit the fan, and that might have been six months of mediation work, talking to people inside and outside the workplace, and eventually that would have turned into kind of educational sessions with the workers in the workplace. And so that was our first foray into education. So it's a very distinct and kind of bespoke form of education that you don't see anywhere else and that doesn't necessarily translate anywhere else. Um, but out of that, of course, then we became a kinder workers kind of educational organisation almost in the sense that we, we went beyond the anti-sectarian stuff eventually. I know we'll get to talk about that, to doing other stuff. But, we, we, but it very much started as a firefighting organisation. Someone said once it was a bit like a tanky special patrol group. 
because we were just so going, the, we're going to places where no one else would go. What was the moment when you began to become something else? What was the moment that the, the, the education became more political? Yeah, well, I suppose just to, just to address the anti-sectarian aspect of it, first, the educational element of that was very direct, you know, and it, 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 you know, it, it addressed the, the structural conditions and the long historical trajectory that gave rise to, you know, sectarianism in, in Ireland and its its persistence and power dynamics and all that sort of stuff. Like, so it confronted all those sort of questions in a in a direct sort of way. And Joe was a real pioneer at that because he was able to put it in the in the vernacular, like he was able to articulate that history and those conditions in, you know, in sort of in language that that people could understand. But um We've continued that tradition of the vernacular strongly in our work, <laughs> I'd like to say. <laughs> Go on, Sean. In terms of the like how the education evolved, Mel, obviously he might want to talk about this, but he came from a, a trade union education background and he studied and, and learned from some of the real pioneers in trade union education, like Sean Morrissey. Um, but Trademark as an organisation uh, really... Uh, began to t take on political education in the aftermath of the financial crisis. Whenever the various groups and individuals that we were, and communities that we were working with, and trade unionists for that matter, uh, sort of came to us and said, you know, what's what's just happened? Um, you know, will it, what's the implications of this? Will that happen again? And so on. And we very quickly discovered, I think Stevie did a sort of audit of, of the education that had been that was being done within the trade union movement and other organisations in Ireland and Britain, and found that you know virtually nobody was doing the sort of uh, political education, the sort of systemic analysis that 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 those organisations had done very well in the past. So the lads cobbled together uh, like a sort of pilot two-day course um, to look. I think Stevie spent a couple of weeks at it. Um, excuse me, fucking couple of weeks, a couple of months at it. Excuse me, you don't just design a brilliant curriculum, world-changing curriculum in two weeks. I mean, pull together something that would try to explain um, the financial crisis, its origins, um, and its you know and, and its implications. I think you just had the first couple of sessions you ran in the office, lads. Was you know it was packed out. Yeah, yeah we, 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 would, yeah, we decided to, you know, traditionally during the summer months when things were quiet, um, people weren't getting released from work and all that sort of stuff. Um, we decided to run a couple of weekends and we called it political economy. Um, and it was kind of shocking because we were used to shop stewards being released from work and getting paid for going to do training. So sometimes they're not there willingly or with good intent. But um, those weekends that we run in August, we ended up having to do three three weekends in August. Um, and we we just realised that we tapped into something. This is something that ordinary working people want to know. And the, there's a, a, a lacuna in the um, in the curriculum, which we filled. Um, I'm and, have, sorry, I'm going to have to draw attention to that, to Mel's use of the word lacuna, because that's a complete betrayal of his Loganite background. He'll never, <laughs> he won't be able to return home after that fucking use. No, I just, I'm saying it with my tongue fairly and my cheek, because I remember um, when one of you two first used it, you know, and uh, 
And I was going, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> you've, you've got these, these classes and you're running them in the office in Belfast and they're, they're, they're popular. You know, people, there's a real demand for them. Um, how, does, how does that then develop into the, the Betty St. Clair Winter School? Because I, I should say that, that was everybody taken away somewhere remote uh, where there was no distractions. You know, various people to come together, activists, trade unionists, a few academics, as I said before, um, topics introduced and discussed around a theme and these extraordinarily lively debates in the evening over a pint and dinner and stuff like that and over breakfast again in the morning. Where did, where did the idea for that come from? What was the thinking behind it? I came from a different, very different to Mel, actually, in terms of educational backgrounds. It was a, I worked for about six years in Yugoslavia for the International Voluntary Service and other organisations. And that kind of, it was that NGO world I lived in. And they had a very different approach to education, which was a bit hippie. You know, it's all about getting in the room together and standing in circles and talk. You know, it was kind of a very different feel to a trade union education session or indeed a trade union conference. When trade union conferences, by and large, are, you know, there's people up at the top table, they kind of talk to you and then you go home and, that, and that's it. And so we kind of brought those two traditions together, if you like, you know, that kind of NGO, more Frarian, I suppose, approach to education in terms of a bit more open, a bit more democratic, a bit more discursive, but with real solid trade union and leftist topics to discuss. So that was it was a combination of these two different worlds, bring them together and hopefully the best of both. And so we, that's why we did it in a place we knew was comfortable and relaxed and beautiful as well. Um, but we also wanted to make sure that there was a chance for people to talk to each other about core subjects. And then we picked, if you like, the themes we were going to discuss. We invited in guest speakers like yourself who we knew would be able to talk to them in a, as Mel said, in a vernacular, in a way that wasn't elitist, in a way that wasn't overly institutional. Um, you know, people wouldn't fucking have a heart attack if someone said fuck in the middle of their their, their presentation. Uh, and that was informal above all else. Um, and so that's it was really a combination of those worlds, I think, which made it kind of successful and, and people enjoyed it and trade unions were unused to that kind of format and the, and the NGO types and the community access we invited in were unused to the ideological nature of it so both benefits for different reasons they said there's any time i've ever been down to the the, the bennison winter school sessions i've always noticed that you know there's always a session at the start which is a bit of finger wagging and people make sure they're all out of bed in the morning and yeah. And they're in they're saying nobody misses any sessions but my impression is that people don't need much encouragement to get into into the sessions, they are they always are very lively and open, and the conversation just spills out off them and into the the kind of more leisure activities afterwards. That seems to be quite integral to what you're doing. Also, is just giving people the time to chat over a, a pint. Yeah, well, it wouldn't have been the first time that we had to, you know, go and knock on people's doors and say, you know, we've got a session this morning, and actually physically drag them out of bed because the you know it's just a. Like a, the trade union uh, tradition of going away and getting pissed up somewhere for a weekend, and you know the the program becomes secondary. We, we've never been into that because essentially we are the the four of us and all of the people that have worked with us down through the years, um, political activists. There's a point to this. It's not just we're not trying to spend somebody else's money, and we're not trying to um, uh, you know do something just for the sake of it. You know there has to be a point to it. There was a little bit of discipline attached to those events as well. Joe Law, famously a CP member for 30 years, took his work very seriously and wouldn't have people going away on a jolly, as Mel said, which was often the experience, not always, but often the experience of people on trade union events. There was just an excuse for a piss up and this was serious work we were at. So, I mean, that was part of the idea as well. And 
And when we're inviting people in to speak, it's just so insulting to people where people don't take it seriously and don't turn up and don't apply themselves, you know? Um, so yeah, we, we have a, we have, we have pulled a few people out of bed by their ankles and rightly so. But the, the social aspect of it is important. Like, you know, you work hard during the sessions and you pay attention and you attend every session and uh, no phone calls, no fucking about. Um, but as you said, Steve, like that, you know, the topics of discussion and in, in the sessions do spill over into the conversations in the evening. And that's what makes the Lusty Bag really a perfect setting for that because there's no escape. People have to come together and, and you know, associate with one another, um, spend time with one another. And that's where some of the most, most important conversations take place. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so we, our job really is to facilitate those conversations, bring people together to stimulate the discussion. Um, and then in the evening, you can see it yourself. Like there's all sorts of misfits from different political traditions on the left, trade unions, communities sitting together in the corner, just thrashing things out and hatching plans. Like, um, and that's you know we find that that's really that's been really important because it's it's led to the creation of really useful relationships and new networks and uh avenues for cooperation in in the real world like and and um it, it's good to see that happening i think i think that's a really important point actually because one of the lessons of the peace process for organizations like ourselves that were involved in very much in the early days back in the 90s was that you're able to bring people together erstwhile enemies who <laughs> were shooting at each other years before and i remember when the john hewitt opened and mel you'll remember and sean too some of the sessions and days and evenings we had in the john hewitt where you had former combats sitting together talking about politics and talking about the future of this place and we took that kind of learning which i suppose a bit cold facey in terms of it being quite difficult and challenging we took that into our political education work that fundamentally you have to create open spaces where that are non-sectarian not just in a, in a northern northern ireland context but on a left context there was a non-sectarian left gatherings where people from different left-wing traditions could come together in a way that they don't normally do particularly not in ireland which is very sectarian when it comes to the left so i think that was a, a lesson of the peace process that we brought into our political education world that was quite and is quite successful i always felt that the social aspect afterwards you know you had it, it's something which, which simultaneously kind of strengthened polit- political relationships, but they were underpinned very often by, you know, friendships that were developing there also. There was a kind of personal aspect to it. I want to ask you something else. I mean, I mean the, the, there's the Betty Sinclair Winter School, and now there's this podcast, obviously, which now sits within a, a, a broader ecology of, of what's known as the left block podcasts. Is that is that also sort of seen as part of a educational outreach work as well? Well, I suppose it is, yeah. It started off, I mean, it's really a product of um, lockdown. The one thing about lockdown um, and, and the, the COVID restriction period and all this is that it did get, it forced us to do things differently because we couldn't do any of our work. So we knocked out this podcast from March onwards. But then other people started doing similar things and we realised at that point that this was just another form of political education and it's one we were kind of forced into, but one that will leave a legacy, a positive legacy afterwards. And we just started chatting to other people who were thinking along the same lines and those different groups of people from across Ireland and indeed talking to people in Britain as well, but came together and each of us had a, we had a podcast, Dave Gibney, who's a communications officer within Mandate the Union, although he does this on a personal, kind of personal level. Um, he came together with a few of us and a few others and started the week at work and other people kind of just jumped on board and next thing you knew there was kind of five podcasts and we thought, well, why don't we just kind of put them under an umbrella, kind of a left green, eco-socialist, non-left sectarian umbrella and kind of work together and, and, and putting them out there. So it's kind of a, 
it's very organic. There's no real massive plan for it. And we'll just yeah. see how it develops going forward. But um, yeah, it's enjoyable at the moment. And the podcasts are relatively decent quality. They're getting good listenership. So out of that, who knows what might develop in terms of broader, bigger, wider, all-Ireland political education stuff. Because there's no doubt that we need to be doing more political education on the left than we are doing. Because basically there isn't anything happening at all. That's my I think it goes without saying that we, we would much prefer to be back in rooms with people. Um, but out of necessity, you know, we have developed this aspect of, of our work, um, which will hopefully, you know, develop into a complement to political education in communities and workplaces and, and with people uh, on the ground, um, as opposed to, a, you know, an alternative to it. But as Stevie says, it seems to be working out. It's, it's, it's having an impact. It's, it's, the podcasts are quite popular and, and you can see it as another other form of political education and I know people like yourself Steve and Clem and, and, and others have been badgering us for, for ages to, to sort of take this seriously <laughs> to take these mediums uh, of you know communication and education seriously and I suppose that's the slap block thing is is a sort of an attempt to do that and I think one of the things that's interesting about it also is that you've got a group of different podcasts that kind of work cooperatively with each other, but they all do quite distinct and different things. You know, there's a sort of educational stuff that Trademark are doing. Um, there's the Week at Work, which is much more a kind of media review. There's one which looks very specifically at green politics. There's the Irish language one as well. Um, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a diversity there. I mean, it's almost like a little little channel of its own in some respects. Um, and I think that's that's interesting as well. I mean, these are the kind of these are the kind of forums you've, you've been working through. You've been working in the office. You've taken that out into the Betty Sinclair Winter School. You've developed it into work on online forums and stuff like that. So those are the kind of forums you're working within. Just to go back, and this is sort of something Mel raised um, earlier on, um, and just want to develop it a little bit more. What is a worker's education? I mean, what, what is it that workers need to know, in, to your mind? Well, they need to know about capitalism and class. That's, that's the two big C's that we introduced when we first did all of this work because Mel, when he came into the organisation from a trade union background, would have, would, would have admitted that for a decade, maybe two decades, trade unions had stopped doing what they used to do. Now, right, Mel, kind of, you know, if you come in on day one on, a, on an education course 40 years ago, you looked at the system that dominated the planet and dominated your life, and it's called capitalism. You're allowed to say that. We should say it's not, you know, it's a, it's a safe word here. And class, the fact that class exists, it hasn't gone away. The social structures and the social relations on that we live in still exist and we, we kind of reintroduce workers back to those core concepts you know the idea that there's a class of owners who own practically everything they own the meter production they own most of the land i was reading recently 50 percent of the land of england's owned by less than one percent of the population you know they own you they own your labor they own your debt you know and then we privatize our public services to the same people they put toll goods on those public services you've got to borrow money to use them where do you buy mon borrow money off the same people? So there's, you know, that, that's a reality of the world we live in, and people need to see that, and and that's really the basis of everything we do. Sorry, Sean, you want to come in? Yeah, I suppose just to say that we're working on a new political education project in the minute with a few different people from from Britain, Ireland, and America, um, and we've been trying to address this sort of question, you know. And it is political, it's a working class political, socialist political education project. And we're trying to address this question of, you know, what, what would workers' education look like? What would it constitute? And we come up with this sort of these three broad concepts. So history. So the history of the system, 
the history of our class, the history of our, our movements and our parties, our values and traditions, what we stand for, but also like the, the history component of it has to include the, the lessons, positive and negative, in terms of what's come before us. Uh, the theory and analysis, the second sort of broad element. Um, so developing the tools to deliver a systemic analysis critique of the system and finally the pra- the praxis and the practice so connecting the history and the theory to the everyday day-to-day uh, concrete struggles over people's living conditions in the workplace uh, uh, and in in the community and also in terms of the practice you know connecting connecting all of that to like a vision and a strategy for for an alternative so like if if you were to ask what would a comprehensive sort of workers' education, no, I don't want to say program, but what would that look like? The history, theory, and the praxis, I think it has to have all those elements of it. There's some people, you know, like Gramsci, for example, used to emphasize the need for, for you know, technical specialist education. You know, as I say, look, workers are going to be in charge of the economy one day, and uh, when they are, they need to know how to run it. So, and... You know, in modern terms, he would focus on the STEM subjects. That sort of stuff that's a bit beyond our reach at the moment. Like, but um, but the history, theory, and the praxis. I suppose that's 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 what we would concentrate on. I think was that his quote? Was it Gramsci who said the problem of education is the most important class problem, and yet education yeah. is the first thing that drops off the agenda of trade union movements, but also of left wing political parties who don't offer systematic programs of political education, even to their own members, let alone to the wider community, particularly those that are stuck in electoral cycles. And it all just becomes about electoral cycles and winning, winning power in a system where that power is kind of irrelevant because power doesn't sit in parliaments anymore, not really. Um, And so political education always falls off the agenda. And yet we think it's kind of fundamental to building anything. People have to understand the world they live in. Sorry, Mel, you want to come in? Yeah, well, I, I remember, I mean, I used to ask a question of, of groups, you know, in, in, in the early part of a session, um, people who are maybe returning to education after um, a long period out of it, um, who were maybe concerned or worried about what was in front of them, um, to think about um, their days at school and think about a, a teacher that they remember for all the wrong reasons, somebody who they, they, they hate with a passion, and why do they hate that teacher? What is it about them that that um, that that causes them to have those feelings? But also on the counter to think about a teacher that had a really positive impact, um, and and tell that story, a teacher that you think about every day, and 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 how they had a, a positive impact on your on your uh, life. And invariably, when when people start to tell those stories, um, there's always somebody the, the the good teacher, the good experience is somebody that was able to tell stories, somebody that was able to start off a lesson, um, to talk about issues, to go off on a tangent, and then in a you know thirty minute or forty minute period, come back to the point, and people people have light bulbs go off in their heads and say yes, those are the kind of teachers I remember for good reasons. But then again, I went to school at a time where you know when you used to get slapped for being stupid you know um and it, you know i remember those teachers just as well so what you're trying to do is trying to get a give people a positive experience of being in an environment where maybe um they're not not used to and maybe um are, are going into it you know with trepidation of some sort 
I mean, that's something I was thinking. You know, that must be something you have to sort of get over, in a way, because you know, I know from my own experience in school when I was younger, I was just disinterested more than anything else. You know, and there was good, there may have been good and bad teachers, and I can identify ones that I really liked, but I was kind of indifferent to what was happening to me. But I know of other people whose experience of education was sometimes pretty negative. When you bring people together. In a setting where you sort of say we're gonna we're gonna there's got this is that this is we'll do a bit of education here we're gonna learn something here, is that how do you get over maybe previously negative encounters with teachers and classrooms and and those sorts of things? What do you what do you do to to bring people into into a space and sort of say let's do a bit of learning here if their previous experience often has maybe been humiliating or disinterest and stuff like that? What's the is there a secret the, to that? It depends who the audience is. I mean, I remember back late nineties working with Joe Law, who we spoke about earlier, and working with the UVF and um, taking and they were, you know, ex-prisoner groups, but it was the UVF. And um, you know, we didn't take them into classrooms at all. We met them, we had maybe we went somewhere for a residential or something, but we were out in minibuses and we took them on tours of uh, historical and political sites, and we took them to Neolithic sites and Mesolithic sites and Bronze Age sites, right up through you know, the, the Vikings and the Normans and the plantations, and we took them to places and we taught them on site. We taught them through walking through forests and over hills and dales, and that's where the political education took place. And then we went back to the wherever we were staying and we had a kind of discussion around what we'd learned and what we'd done. So you avoided the classroom as much as possible. So with trade unionists or with community groups we work with, it's about a positive experience. Um, it's about, um, and that puts a lot of pressure on you as, a, as, a, as the trainer or the educator, of course, because you put a lot of yourself into the session. We, we all find our work knackering because you, you're almost performing. Um, and it's about passion. It's about inspiration. Good content, obviously, good analysis. But you yourself have to be a believable person. They, they're looking at you going, is he bullshitting me or is this real? So you have to have a certain legitimacy of voice, got to have a bit of credibility. You can't be up your own hole. Uh, and so that's kind of what we do, you know. Now, obviously, as Sean said, it's all underpinned by history, theory, praxis, um, and you know the various kind of theories of socialism that we adhere to and stuff. So, but it's a combination of all of those things, really, you know. But I would say that our, our one of the things we do well, but it's also our downfall, is the idea of performance because not everyone can do that. And so, whether that's transferable to other contexts, I don't know. You know, trademarks very much a creation of the people who created it and, and working it, if that makes sense. I think the, the, the two elements um, for any good good session or good experience is empathy for the people that you're working with. You've got to, you know, you've got to understand their problems and their needs and trust. You know, you've got, I mean, sometimes we ask for trust. We have to say to people, look, suspend any notions or any experiences that you've had of previous educational experiences and put your um, cells at our mercy. We promise you at the end of two or three days, you'll have had an enjoyable experience, if nothing else. Well, so, we don't actually say that. What we say is that if you come into this room on a Monday and you're slightly angry about the world, by the time you leave on Wednesday, you're going to be fucking livid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there is a sense of desperation when they go out through the door on a Wednesday. Yeah. I, I think the what the two lads do in, very well in particular, like... Um, Here's a bit of praise, Jesus boys. Uh, I'm recording this. <laughs> through our education, they, they, they tell a story. And I think that's that's really, it's a really powerful and useful way of making complex concepts 
um, and the histories and, and so on uh, accessible and, and easy to, to understand and relate to. Um, so they tell a story, but they also, you know, they encourage people, participants to, to piece the story together with them as part of that process, you know, to share their experience. And it's much more discursive and interactive than just a, just a lecture. And I think that helps to overcome some of, you know, some of the inhibitions that people might have, because everyone has a story. If you're able to present that in a certain way, everyone is able to relate to what you're talking about and share their own perspective or experience of it. Um, so I, I think that's important. I think the other thing that, that we do is in terms of like you know, political economy, from the outset, we go in and hammer home the point that this isn't beyond people's comprehension. They, these the economics and so on isn't a science. It's not beyond people's comprehension. Um, the so-called experts, in fact, when we invert this sort of traditional understanding of things, the so-called experts upon which re we rely actually don't have a fucking clue how the world works. Uh, and in fact, people in working class communities, uh, workers, trade unions and so on, are much better placed actually to understand how the world works because they're the coalface. You know, they're experiencing this uh, in, you know, every day of their lives. Um, so I think, you know, emphasizing that point is, is, is important and, and it helps to, you know, it helps to make it a much more positive experience. Look, I mean, what we've talked about so far, we've sort of covered a little bit about the background and the history of, of trade back and where it came from and some of the personalities involved. And I've talked about the kind of forms that you work through um, and also how you, what, what you see a, a worker's education as being for. Um, and this is interesting because I think this will lead into the second half where we begin to think a little bit more about the experience of, um, of education, how it's experienced and how, how workers' education might be delivered. So uh, any, anybody want to offer any concluding comments before I, I call time on this first half and we begin to look forward maybe to a, a second podcast on this? Just that I suppose we've, we've got so much work to do in delivering on, on political education. Um, as Sean said, we're working on a number of different projects, uh, including the Political Education Project, which is what it's called. Um, it's got a new Twitter feed, at Political ED Proj, Political Education Project. Um, but we've got some way to go to recreate a mate of ours, Paul O'Connell, did an article for us recently for Rosa Lux blog, and he, he mentioned in it, you know, that uh, we need to get back to the kinds of workers' education that saw 300 miners' libraries in Wales, that saw thousands of reading groups up and down the country, both Ireland towards, you know, histories of histories here, of course, of workers' political education and um, even within the Republican socialist traditions and so on. And all of that's kind of gone, and it's been stripped away, not just by um, deindustrialization, which was part of it, because it's destroyed the communities that created those that culture and that working class education culture, we've got somewhere to go to recreate any of that. And we're starting at a really low base. And one of the issues we have is that the trade union movement, we would argue the labor movement isn't doing what it should do to recreate those kinds of institutions and to reintroduce the kinds of themes and of topics that we need to be looking at and teaching workers about, you know, I mean, we didn't mention, I'll leave it on this point. We didn't mention that, you know, that, all education has been colonized by neoliberal understandings of the world, including lots of trade union education, which focuses on skills and CV building and improving your lot, improving your own ability to sell yourself into the market. And, you know, all work with education should be about building collective social movements for change. And they're not. Well, in the second podcast, let's return to this topic about the broader culture within which the education takes place. Um, 
So listen, we'll, we'll call it a day there. Uh, thanks everyone for listening and, uh, and tune into the second half of this um, in a week's time. That, comrades, was Trademark Belfast. Thanks so much for listening in. We'll see you soon, either in the trenches or on the victory parade. Up the workers and slang of foil.